deep inhale. NBA playoffs, baby. You are now listening to the Straight Outta Hitch podcast for all of your postgraduate perspectives. Follow us on social media at SOH Podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode. We have now made it to the 20th episode of SZN2, number 60 overall. The Straight Outta Hitch podcast train keeps rolling. And my name is Darren, joined once again by the dopest co-host. Yeah, it's Alec, and it's our uh, favorite time of year. Uh, March Madness is done with. We can be done being sad for all that. And we get to talk about the NBA playoffs, which, you know, is exciting all around. I think especially for me, since I'm pretty neutral when it comes to NBA rooting. Darren, I know you got your heart in a specific team, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, the subjectivity is something I got to get over, but... (laughs) No, I think that's fair. Uh, You know, I do it for college ball. (laughs) So it's April uh, Madness now. It's my turn. It's it's, it's Darren's turn. But, uh, you know, I think um, we're just going to kind of take these series by series. And I think we'll start with the most intriguing of the past last five years, so to say. And that's the Spurs Warriors opening round uh, game. Golden State leads 2-0. We still haven't seen Kawhi yet, uh, but LaMarcus Aldridge has been popping off, so to say. Yeah, man. At this point, I think it's safe to say that we probably won't be seeing Kawhi back at any point during the series. Like I thought that, you know, prior to game one, Steve Kerr was talking about, oh, we're preparing as if like Kawhi is going to make a surprise return. I thought Popovich would be on his like Bill Belichick flow, be like, okay, so every single moment that you're not planning for what we have on the floor is is a wrinkle that you can throw in here. Like what they did with Brady in the Super Bowl. It's like, oh, like he his hand injury is actually worse than it seems. And Brian Hoyer might be starting a quarterback. So even if that's not actually the case, I feel like that was part of the mind games. But there's a real disconnect right now between Kawhi and the Spurs. So I guess we just kind of have to move on and accept the fact we probably won't see him until next year. And, you know, for the time being with the roster that both of these teams have respectively, even with Steph out, I mean, the talent disparity is just way too much. And it looked like the Spurs actually actually, you know, played well enough to win game two, but Clay gets hot, hits a few threes, and all of a sudden it's game over. And of course, KD doing his thing, Draymond tearing apart the defense. And, you know, it's it's just kind of sad to see the Spurs and Pops so outmatched. But this is kind of what happens when you don't have like a top five player in Kawhi and are not like the Warriors and that you have three other all-stars to overcome it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where the Warriors' depth once again goes to show. And it's not even just you know, the big uh, three or four, it's like these guys that they're getting significant minutes out of the bitch, uh, bench. <laughs> Apologies. You're good, but, but, um, we can do that on here. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but you got like, um, you know, Sean Livingston coming off and getting significant ball handling minutes. Um, and you kind of just have this ball movement that's there. And that will always be there as long as Kevin Durant's in the court. And, you know, it, it lets Clay Thompson shoot uh, five for six from three or five from eight, whatever um, he tries. <laughs> Essentially, he's, he's open. So, um, yeah, the Spurs, I don't even know how they match up to this at this point. You have LaMarcus Aldridge playing quite well. But, um, you know, that's, that's as much as you got really coming from them. And it's kind of crazy to see how his career has turned around. And he almost seems to be very much more mature than he was at uh, Indiana. 
Yeah, and it seems like, you know, we had this kind of situation last year where Aldridge supposedly wanted to be traded, then him and Pop kind of iron it out, and now we see kind of a similar thing happening with Kawhi. So just a quick aside that I guess we got to shout out Tim Duncan because, you know, in the 20 seasons that he was there, this kind of stuff never happened. Now that he's uh, sailed off into the sunset, it's all kind of going downhill a little bit. But nevertheless, for what the Spurs have right now, it feels like they just don't have the personnel to match up with the Warriors. And so you see it, who's kind of getting the one-on-one matchup against Kevin Durant, and I guess, you know, they tried out Danny Green, but as Pop said, we kind of need him to grow like four or five more inches to be effective on him. So otherwise, they're trying out Kyle Anderson, who you know has his own speed limitations that are very well known, and you know Rudy Gay, who's out there playing on on one Achilles at this point, still very good on the offensive end. But you just kind of couple that with the rest of their aging core. I mean, Manu, Tony Parker, Pau Gasol. I mean, these dudes are all combined like three hundred years old. So you know, when when you don't have Kawhi to kind of carry that team on both ends of the floor and be that physical athlete to at least check like a Durant or maybe chase Clay Thompson around screens, I mean, it's, it's really tough. Yeah, I think that basically says it. And on the other end of that, you know, you have the Warriors defense. <laughs> like, it's hard to run everything through LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, you don't have a guy like Kawhi that was shooting phenomenally last year. Um, and it's it's just weird. The kind of handling of that almost seems to have affected the mentality of the Spurs players as well. It's very uh, Andrew Luck-esque in how that injury has been going down like nobody actually knows what's happening and you have this kind of war of attrition between the two camps um so do you you know the the 500 million dollar question will Kawhi Leonard be a spur next year or for the rest of his career type you know we we thought he's the spur the next Duncan spur for life but maybe not Right. That's interesting because it seems like there's kind of arguments on both sides of the coin. Like Kawhi does have the supermax on the table potentially this summer. So from like a pure self-interest standpoint, it makes a lot of sense for him to remain with the Spurs. But then again, we hear a lot of rumblings about how he mistrusts the Spurs doctors. I mean, Popovich is out here like throwing some subtle shade at him in his uh, post-game press conferences, talking about him and his group and crediting LaMarcus Aldridge for being there for his teammates night after night and playing through all different sorts of injuries. So I don't know. The Spurs are the best run or organization in basketball but you know i guess it all matters and it all boils down to if your best player is willing to buy in to that kind of way of doing things and you know that's that's kind of an open question for now there, there's probably like 200 million reasons why Kawhi should stay in san antonio but fractured relationships even with a team like the spurs are enough to kind of send somebody flocking for greener pastures yeah i like that uh analysis a lot so let's move to the other part of texas <laughs> Do uh, it. You know, the Mavericks don't exist at this point. They're they're in the uh, potential lottery discussion there. Hey, at least we've got one more season to Dirk, though. Yeah, thank God. Praise praise be Dirk. Um, yeah, but anyways, Houston Rockets, Minnesota Timberwolves, the uh, 1-8 matchup. The Wolves finally breaking their playoff drought. And so far, we've only had the one game. And I think that was a lot closer than most people expected. Yeah, I mean, the Timberwolves do have enough depth, I guess, to sort of check the Rockets. But, you know, with the offensive juggernaut that Houston is with just, you know, four out with Capella running the floor. And of course, the presumable and likely MVP in James Harden and Chris Paul 
uh, as well. You know, those guys have, I think at this point in their career, more of a chip on their shoulder than ever before. Neither, well, Harden has once, but that was just kind of like a fluke victory over the Clippers. Uh, has made it to a conference finals before, but they both kind of have the label of playoff chokers. And this is a Minnesota team that, you know, will be spooky in a few years, but this is oh, their they're, first they're, reps in the postseason. They're, they're spooky now. They're spooky oh, now. Okay. They're like the Rams. This is this is the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Rams are the same organization. You know, like they've, they've been spooky for a couple years. Now they've made their first playoff run and they're going to uh, be very underwhelming. <laughs> so is Towns basically Aaron Donald? Uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, Wiggins is probably your um, your Todd Gurley or something. And Jimmy uh, Butler is Jared Goff, which <laughs> is probably the most ridiculous comparison of all. But. Yeah, that's okay. We're 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 grasping at straws there. But um, you know, I thought I thought some of the interesting discussion after that game was speaking of Towns was you know how he had what nine shots total. Yeah, and uh, I think like single digit sh- points. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you have, do you hear Shaq's comments after the game? Did basically, just drop like a barbecue chicken line? Or? No, he basically said, all right, here's what you got to do, Towns. You got to run straight to the basket, uh, you know, on every possession, essentially, until you draw two, three in the keys, and then they'll essentially start giving you the ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. I mean, time tested. Like, that was classic Lakers Shaq. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, Towns should be very a piece that's very able to exploit Houston's defense. Capello's good, but you know, not at the level of you know rim protecting a guy like Towns. I don't think, um, at least consistently throughout a game. So really, kind of go through them, um, leave you know room for your wings on that space creation. But I don't know. I think Minnesota probably. I don't know. They didn't shoot particularly well, but um, they did make a handful of threes that kind of kept them uh, at least close. Yeah, I mean, the Timberwolves are interesting because, you know, they have their kind of scores, but it's just almost as if they're still trying to figure out like their roles. Like as we talk about Towns, like it doesn't seem like he is kind of like demanding his shot at this point. And, you know, there's some takes flying around the Twitter verse that maybe he artificially inflates his efficiency because he doesn't want to take like bad shots, like two seconds on the shot clock instead of hoisting up a shot to try to beat it. Like he'll, he'll dump it off to like a covered Derrick Rose or whatever. And, you know, Rose himself has actually been been pretty solid in that first game and towards the end of the season. So if, if he can produce something like 10 plus points per game or so you know maybe jamal crawford doing the same as, as part of like the, the retirement the elder statesman going in there in minnesota i mean i think they might be able to steal a game but overall i think that this you know i'm, I'm worried that game one might have been the most competitive so far or might have might be the only competitive game rather of this series yeah i think i think we'll see and it is worth noting it was at you know houston so um you got to give the Timberwolves credit for uh, playing well away. True. But we need to move on a little bit. Um, the 4-5 matchup, we'll go there. Uh, speaking of Harden's old team, Thunder versus the Jazz. Um, what a weird breakdown of some of these seeds, looking at it from th- comparing it to what everybody thought at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, this just seems like one of those kind of matchups where you have a guy like Russell Westbrook who's doing everything for his team um making well I say that Paul George had a phenomenal game first game but the comparison is you have Donovan Mitchell on the other side the rookie 
showing he's got the chops to play, you know, in April as well as he is. Yeah, man. And so as much as we talk about Westbrook, and that's kind of like, I guess, one of the ones to watch from, from offense to defense is just when Westbrook jets around the screen and beats Rudy Gobert at the rim. Like, uh, you know, that, that's one of the more exciting, I guess it calls back to LeBron James and Roy Hibbert from back in the day, but two very different play styles. And I feel like the Thunder have the sort of offensive firepower from, you know, playoff P as you hinted at with Paul George out here dropping 30 plus and, you know, taking a little bit of time to defend either Mitchell or Joe Ingles, who's kind of like an underrated component of the Jazz offense, you know, kind of checking them on defense as well. And, you know, Carmelo is kind of, um, he's had a very down season. I think this is probably undoubtedly the worst year of his career, but you still got to guard him out there and he can still get hot in the second at the three point line. So I feel like we're going to be witnessing, this is probably going to be one of the more competitive ones. I feel I could honestly see this one going seven just because, you know, Mitchell's good enough to win a couple of games. The Thunder's own firepower speaks for themselves. And it's enough of kind of like a balance on both ends. Like even if they lost Andre Robertson for the season, I mean, Corey Brewer has been a very strong defensive pickup and kind of active wing playing for his old college coach and Billy Donovan. And yeah, it's just, a, it's a lot of competing storylines here. And, you know, this, you know, not a lot of people are going to be thinking about this one but you know i gotta say don't sleep on it yeah it's it's interesting how kind of almost deep utah's benches like they can kind of they got somebody there that they can throw at anything it seems um not necessarily the best players in each of those positions but enough depth that they could make a seven game series go their way i think um you know as as you hinted at um the offensive matchup definitely does favor the thunder and um Westbrook at Gobert is <laughs> kind of hilarious almost, but, um, you know, maybe we'll start seeing some interesting defensive matchups switch around and, uh, the jazz, you know, take it to seven. Cause I think, I think they'll, you know, I think this is one of those who's going to steal the home court advantage. If the jazz do, then they might win it type type series. That's what I'm feeling. Yeah, I think it's really possible. You know, you had that injury scare from Mitchell and he still manages to play like 35 minutes, leave them with like, what, 27 points, 10 rebounds. And so this is a jazz team that they play almost like polar opposite to the way that OKC does. Like, whereas they're trotting out mellow at the, the four OKC is, I mean, you have Derek Favors coming out there on the jazz. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of a chess match here going on between these two teams and like, you know, unknown guys like the jazz will just kind of dust off like Royce O'Neal, who, you know, I'm pretty sure that this is that dude is like an NBA name generator secretly but he can actually ball a little bit and you know Dante Exum is back from the dead I mean there's some really cool matchups here really cool players redeeming themselves I guess quietly yeah uh but we'll finish out the west um I guess my 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 most rooting interest for uh for the NBA just due to the sheer number of Kentucky players on the roster but the Pelicans Blazers um we didn't really talk much at all about the Blazers this year um I think we mentioned Damian Lillard a couple times. That's about it. But, you might have um, mentioned like his rap album. <laughs> yeah, I think that was more realistically what we talked about. In terms of on the court, uh, it's, it's been fairly radio silent. Yeah, it's they haven't done. I mean, they've played Portland Trailblazers basketball all year. They locked up their uh, division pretty quickly um, and kind of played their way into a three seed kind of quietly. <laughs> um, but... They've since lost their two home, their first two home games to the Pelicans. Now the series flips, going to New Orleans for the next two. So, can we see a four-zero here? Do you think that's that's the way this series is playing out? 
I think so, because, you know, you look at how kind of the Blazers are actually getting like pretty snake bitten by some of these injuries too. like Mo Harkless was off for game one, but he comes back in and now they lose Evan Turner and Yusuf Nurkic. And so we don't know how long those dudes are, you know, if if they wind up missing time or how effective they will be, should they not? And so this is something that I guess I kind of wanted to ask you, like, is is the uh, the Boogie Cousins being out kind of actually almost improving the the matchup here for the Pelicans? Like we see a guy in Cousins who you know has a tendency sometimes to stop the ball. I mean, it's asinine to suggest that they're somehow better without Cousins, but at least in this particular matchup where you start Miritich at the four, Davis at the five, and that basically renders Nurkic unplayable, and you know it kind of does a lot of different things and scrambles a lot of the matchups here. So you know, I, I think against Portland, like Boogie not being there can actually like work in their favor somewhat um do you want to hear the hottest take let's uh, do it of the uh, year i'm ready to get spicy here right anthony davis might be good at basketball damn dude <laughs> i like it but yeah I, I i do like that analysis um you know it's one of those things where i think davis and cousins are both good enough that um they're almost matchup proof in how they kind of um, handle it. There's very few teams that can give both Davis and Cousins trouble, both offensively and defensively, I think. I think a lot of where the Pelicans lost some of their flow when both of them were playing was on the perimeter end of things. But since then, we've now seen the return of playoff Rondo. We're seeing Drew Holiday probably playing as good as he has ever in the NBA. And really, yeah, Miritich is filling the nice gap for cousins very well um you know the kind of question is there's not a huge bench for the pelicans so they're running you know guys 40 minutes which is insane at this time of the year but um to be able to consistently keep doing that but um you know it's it's crazy like what rondo almost had a triple double tonight had 17 assists last game like where did this guy come from again that's crazy yeah, man, the combination of playoff Rondo with like national TV Rondo, this being a TNT game on, on a Tuesday night out here. And yeah, I mean, the, the cold-blooded corner three, like they doubled to get the ball out of Holiday's hand. So they swung it to the corner, dared Rondo to shoot the three, and he made it. Like, this is classic, like Boston Celtics Rondo out here. Like, he'd be doing that all the time. And I think it's just something to be said when you have guys on your team, especially a backcourt that is able to contribute as kind of like a two-way presence. And so Holiday's always been that guy, you know, Rondo can come and go with his effort but he's proven to be that in this series against Portland and I really feel like on the flip side of the coin that it almost caps your ceiling when you essentially like get your bread and butter on the offensive side like Lord and McCollum do and you're almost like a sieve defensively on the other end like granted they have improved but it's almost like Toronto to like a like an extent like obviously Lowry is pretty pretty solid on defense but you know those are guys who focus primarily on their jump shooting and in the playoffs that can come and go. So that's, that's my worry here with Lillard and McCollum and them being down 2-0 suggests that it's a very real one. Yeah. And um, just thinking of those matchups too, I think, I think Miritich too, you know, he can shoot the three and that almost gives um, Portland kind of trouble because you don't have that four that can step out too well to um, kind of defend the perimeter. Um, and now you lose Turner. It's it looks to be spiraling down to a four zero playoff outage for them. I'd say. Yeah, and I feel like you know some of their guys are 
not ready yet. Like we see like dudes like Pat Hunt and Zach Collins getting crunch time burn, whereas the unknown quote unquote dudes on the Pelicans, you know, your Ian Clarks have been there before with the Golden State Warriors for their championship winning season last year. And, you know, just a couple of other unheralded dudes out there. Gentry is obviously a Warriors assistant as well. So I don't know if it boils down to like experience sneakily, like Rondo has that essentially, like even if this is what Davis is like second or third playoffs only, but I feel like you're seeing kind of like that, that talent discrepancy and that uh, experience discrepancy as well. Yeah, um, I agree. So it's time to move to the East. Um, cracks knuckles. Let's yeah, do it. Crack, cracks knuckles. Um, you know, you hinted at Toronto. Let's just move there since they're the one eight matchup. Two zero up on the Wizards. Um, I don't know. How do you feel? They just kind of they're too much for the Wizards right now. That's kind of my view of it. Like somehow John Wall's playing phenomenally coming off of injury, um, but. It just seems like the cohesion is just not completely there to deal with Toronto. Yeah, man. And I think at this point, it all boils down to depth. Like we've heard all season about just how many quality contributors that the Raptors have. Like they honestly run like 12 deep. And when they're all their starters hit the bench, it's basically like a hockey line change. And, you know, that second unit can carry and more than keep them afloat on offense and on defense. So, you know, and even Fred Van Vliet hasn't even played so far in this series, and he might be their best guy off of the bench. So it just goes to show how deep that team is. Meanwhile, with the um, Wizards, you know, uh, go for correct, it. Correction there, Fred Van Vliet has three minutes in the series. So oh, okay, so. He's, yeah. he's, he got a turnover, so that's some phenomenal um, yeah, stats man. there. <laughs> he, you know, he, he was just in there for a little quick uh, Stan Lee cameo, and then he pieced out. He didn't get a Lamello, but um, he did get a turnover. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, you look at on the flip side where you have the Wizards who, you know, I don't even know if at this point they have like five NBA players, you know, at least like NBA quality players. Like, you know, Wall and Beal are going to be fantastic and Porter's a solid piece, but it's like Gortat's falling off a cliff. Like Morris comes and goes and, you know, on their bench, like our dude Jody Meeks got suspended for for HGH or whatever. So that really ruins their bench. And now they have Ty Lawson who they just signed off the street like a week ago. Like it's a mess, dude. Yeah, I think this is just time and time again. What have we been talking about with the Wizards? We talked about it last year as well. You got to give wall guys to play with (laughs) like, you know, I feel like almost his career is being ruined being at the Wizards just because he's it to some degree. You know, you got Beal and um, as you said, kind of turned into his redhead man and Porter's had quite a phenomenal season. Um, But like there's no depth there, period. And you cannot run a seven game series versus you know the one seed in the east without any depth and toronto is just killing them with that they can play their guys 25 30 minutes and you know there's no sweat the next game it's just like the same thing so you get uh the games moving back to washington hopefully they'll be able to um recuperate but i just i just foresee toronto sweeping them here yeah, man. And similar as what we talked about in the previous series with the backcourt matchups. I mean, it's a situation where you have Wall and Beal having to check Lowry and DeRozan on one end, but it's not necessarily the case 
vice versa where you have you know dudes in toronto like you know they're starting the rookie og ananobi who's out here getting the primary defensive matchup on john wall and so that kind of you know you rotate the matchups a little bit and it creates a little bit uh easier sort of a one-on-ones for everybody else on down the line and you know that really matters where you have to sometimes take defensive possessions off to save your energy for the offensive end i mean that's a luxury that toronto has because of their depth but something that the wizards don't have and may never have so you know this is a classic uh one versus eight seed i guess but even if uh wall and beal are going to be their phenomenal selves you know you, you limit the rest of their guys on that team and you know it just all goes to hell from there yeah who who would have thought the career arc of serge Ibaka would be where it is today <laughs> i think no, that's man. that's kind of crazy to think that he you know got bounced from a perennial should be top of the west and okc gets traded for what seemed like peanuts at the time but has turned out to be a lot more than that and somehow okc made out the worst from all that to the magic magic doesn't work out and then ends up at the one seed in the east anyways um let's move on to the matchup that everybody was uh seemed to be vying for in terms of the lower seed picking up the matchup versus the Celtics, losing Kyrie. But that seems to have bite anyone's decision in the back. Uh, but that game one, Buck celtics that had to be the um, most exciting game thus far, I'd say. Yeah, man, like even just oh. those final 15 <laughs> seconds of the fourth quarter. Exactly. It just, it was, you know, what was it? Like uh, three, three, and then with 0.5 seconds left, another three to just to uh, send it to overtime where the Celtics ended up prevailing. Um, a foul out of Giannis kind of, I think, sealed the deal on some of that. But um, you know, what do you what do you make of the series so far? Is are the where are the Bucks ultimately? Are they a few pieces out still? It seems. I think so. And, you know, it seems as though the coaching is playing a role in it, too. Like we talk um, a lot about how Brad Stevens is one of the premier minds in the game. But you look on the other side, I mean, the Bucks fired Jason Kidd uh, a few months ago and now they're running with their interim Joe Prunty. So it's just it's just different when, you know, even if you're an assistant that's around the team, like you're elevated to that spot and you're not necessarily ready to compete with a coach of Stevens's caliber. And, you know, this is a team that just still has a lot of depth despite all their injuries. I mean, like Terry Rozier is suddenly playing like a top 10 point guard in the league like he's definitely outplaying Bledsoe like he shook him on that final possession of the fourth quarter for the Celtics and now he has uh, Bledsoe trying to throw shade at him uh, after after game two saying who is that but uh you know Bledsoe is the one who's out here down 0-2 and you know even the matchup against Giannis like that's a one-on-one against Al Horford who you know their best player remaining and was a defensive player of the year candidate early in the season is kind of like physical and nimble enough to kind of make a make some some problems for Giannis even if he's still going to get to the rim pretty easily against anybody. So the Celtics game plan seems to be working and it's just a combination of the Bucks underperforming and maybe just not being ready for it at this stage with their coaching situation and their youth as well. Yeah, it's it's crazy just to look at the two rosters and you would you would not think that the Celtics would be the two seed in this matchup if you looked at this at the beginning of the year. But you have this has been a phenomenal rookie class and you know, it seems Ben Simmons will be winning Rookie of the Year, but you got you know guys like Donovan Mitchell we talked about. But for the Celtics, Jason Tatum's getting uh, not in Game Two, but Game One had uh, you know phenomenal minutes, like getting key offensive rebounds here and there, putting up the points, and that kind of like motor is what's keeping the Celtics like so consistent, I think. And um, losing Kyrie sucks, and 
I think will suck down the line, but for this first round matchup, I don't think it's too problematic for them because you have Brad Stevens. Yeah, man, it's just nuts, you know, the way that this dude puts his players in a position to succeed. Like, you lose Gordon Hayward, you lose Kyrie Irving, Marcus Smart's not even available, and you still have, what, five guys who are capable of scoring 20 in the same game as I think that they did in game one? I mean, it was um, Morris and Tatum, Tatum Brown, had, right? Tatum had 19 points. So, okay, um, so, so close to it. Can flirt with <laughs> 20 points thereabouts, and you know, you're good. throwing Horford and Rozier there, and I mean, that's, you know, 100 points right there combined. Yeah, exactly. So... You know, it's it's just crazy, and the depth is kind of not as deep as what they have been, but, uh, you know, running 10 deep seems to be enough for the Celtics right now. And, um, you know, I, I got a feeling they'll close out this series, but I think Milwaukee will take the next two games at home. I think it'll be close. Giannis can win one on his own. Like, even if Parker kind of comes and goes, his defense is a bit of a disaster. Like, the Bucks have the length, and, you know, they can steal one. Yeah, I mean, Chris Middleton's been playing out of his mind as well, which is kind of insane to watch. Yeah, man. Um, he's good for 30, and I don't think Bledsoe's going to necessarily be this bad for, for the remainder. Like, he's had a bad first two games. Yeah, he really has. It's, yeah, who would have thought Terry Rozier would be <laughs> playing as well as he is? Uh, maybe it's that Louisville-Kentucky matchup or something. Yeah, man, um, he's in his head. Like, it's it's weird because, like, he hasn't been back to the playoffs, like, since the Clipper days. So, you know, he toiled away in Phoenix, and now he's finally back in the playoffs, and he's kind of, like, checked out mentally. It's it's weird as hell, dude. Yeah. Anyways, um, we'll save your game for the last. All right. <laughs> best for last. Let's do it. Let's save the best for last. So we got to quickly touch on Pacers-Cavs. Um yeah, what happened to the Cavs? You know, Victor Oladipo happened to the Cavs? Is that, is that what essentially happened? Yeah, man. I mean, this is you kind of see that they jump out to that big league and you keep refreshing the scoreboard on ESPN. You're like, all right, the Cavs are going to close the gap. going to close the gap. It's the fourth quarter. They're still going to close the gap. They're not closing the gap. They lost. This is uncharted waters, actually. Like, I think, like, what, LeBron teams have never lost, like, a game one, at least during his time in Cleveland and maybe even dating back into his time in Miami. Like, losing in the first round, even a single game, is just not something that LeBron does. And so you're really kind of seeing that this team was put together essentially two months ago, and the only real, like, layovers who are still, like, pretty playable are LeBron and Kevin Love. I mean, Tristan and JR just kind of have their own, they're, they're in their own sort of feelings with, uh, with being unable to, to produce and, you know, unplayable in certain situations and everybody else is a new face. So it's, it's just tough, man. Yeah. LeBron with the, uh, casual triple double, um, and <laughs> <laughs> in, in in yeah, in an 80 point, uh, loss, you know, like <laughs> this just like their, their bench is terrible. Like, this I don't know. Like I, I, I think this maybe's this playoff run here is maybe what makes me think LeBron does leave in free agency. Like, you know, is that the feeling you're getting here? This is kind of the end of LeBron's Cleveland tenure. I think it could be just based on the way that the status quo is. Like, if the Brooklyn pick somehow ascends to like number one, or they at least knock that pick out of the park, then maybe he'll entertain the idea of staying for one more year. But the way that it stands right now, I mean, there's no way that this team is competitive for the remainder of his prime, post prime, whatever the hell he's in right now. Yeah, I mean, clearly LeBron can still perform. (laughs) He just needs other people that can as well. And you know, love grabbing boards is only going to get you so much. Like. You know, you you think back to these playoffs and losing Kyrie Irving, not to beat beat the dead horse or whatever, clearly is hurting LeBron here. Like, who would have thought that trade would have happened? You know, Kyrie for Isaiah Thomas. You'd expect Isaiah Thomas here at the Cavs. 
they get rid of him, they get rid of Derrick Rose, like they get rid of Dwayne Wade, who we'll get to in a second. Who do you have that scores? Like, you know, J.R. Smith hasn't done crap. Yeah, man. And even like, you know, that's a very solid point with the offense and a very real one that the Cavs are having to deal with. But also, like, do they even have like a single average to above average defender on that entire roster? Like LeBron, we know coasts on the defensive end, so he probably doesn't apply anymore. I mean, Jay Crowder, while he was still there, you know, kind of declined a little bit. and He's not on the team anymore. I guess you could maybe say a George Hill, but he's sort of dealing with his own sort of recovery from injuries in general ineffectiveness. So otherwise, like, you know, we know loves defensive limitations. And, you know, like we said, Tristan and Jr., who, you know, can be good on defense at times. You can't get them on the court just because, you know, they hurt the team more than they help. So, you know, if you have total zeros on, on one side on offense, total zeros on the other side on defense and LeBron and Kevin Love just trying to work around that. It's no surprise, I guess, that they're down. All right. I think I think I got the fix. They got to sign James Jones like 100%. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, what LeBron's never made. Well, he made it once, but he hasn't made it to the finals in the last uh, seven years without James Jones. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, we need, I think that's what's missing. That's the cohesion there. Um Anyways, we're talking a lot about basketball. Let's let's wrap this up. We'll we'll get you to your hot takes. Uh, probably the most uh, heart heart tearing matchup of the playoffs. Your your home loving team versus the meme dream team of the process. Um, split one one. First game. How do you how do you see you know Embiid coming out? Uh, being sorry, Embiid didn't even play in the first game, did he? He came out uh, on the because, bench and yeah, he came out in the phantom mask and rang the bell, but yeah, he, exactly. he sat for the game. He sat for the game, yes. Um, but, you know, who, who would have thought that this matchup without Embiid would be so, you know, lucrative, so to say, for 76ers? You have guys like Bellinelli and uh, Redick being the, the biggest producers, which kind of almost is counterintuitive to the way the 76ers have worked all year. Yeah, man. You know, I guess going into that game one, it seemed like we kind of acknowledged that there was a talent gap with the Sixers and it was just the Heat's experience and planning that would give them an edge, if anything. And, you know, just the way the white side came, he's just kind of checked out as well. Like he's not really given much effort. And, you know, he's probably with Embiid out one of the bigger sort of matchup problems, at least in theory. Like, you know, he's only playing like 12 minutes. And, you know, from there, like Olenek comes in and he's the best offensive dude, but he sort of gives the heat a lot of, you know, he seeds a lot of ground on the boards and just the kind of ability to rotate on the perimeter and defend there is pretty atrocious. So, you know, they tried to, they didn't try to shrink the floor against Ben Simmons, you know, it resulted in the blowout. The game two, on the other hand, we see the adjustments. We see Dwayne Wade coming in there, dropping 28 points, the vintage father prime. And uh, we can we can go into uh, his performance in, in the next couple of minutes here. But it was as much about him as it was about the sort of tweaks that Spolster made. You see that you have... They're switching up the primary matchup on Simmons, whereas it was just kind of like Josh Richardson, like, you know, sending help in game one. Now they're switching out. They have Justice Winslow as the primary defender, like James Johnson, doing a lot of the things to make him great on, on that end of the floor. And yeah, I mean, he also went like seven for seven from the field and Dragic kind of found his rhythm. And even if Whiteside still didn't affect the game as much, I mean, that was kind of enough for them to jump out to a big lead. And then, you know, when the Sixers made their inevitable run, you just had Wade stepping on their throats. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that a team is, you know, 
running this around a guy that looked to be washed up by, at the beginning of this year. And um, it's something, it's just magic, really. It's it's the destined homeland. Like, Wade should have never left Miami, I think. He, yeah, man. It's, it's, the, it's the classic adage, if you love something, let it free. Um, except for basketball. If you love something, let it free. It'll suck, and then it'll come back and be good again. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a good way of putting the whole Wade saga, and I think he's been very open about that. He said that, yeah, like you know, it, it was good that I, I left in a sense because it kind of made me realize how much that I missed Miami and how much I belong here. And he's kind of like comparing it to like being a kid who uh, leaves home to go out of state for college and then returns after graduation. So you know, he is it's like the perfect narrative almost in the sense that you have this young, inexperienced Sixers team that's getting essentially dad dick by like a 36 year old in his 15th year in the league and you know just the kind of cherry on top of him talking that smack to Kevin Hart both on the court and off of it saying he's not allowed in Miami and credit to him for that big game I think I, I speak for all of us when I say that we're pretty much sick of Kevin Hart popping up everywhere in both the culture and NBA all-star games and similar type events so this is just sweet on a lot of different levels I feel like not just for me but for like NBA fans in general yeah uh, I think we can all kind of agree there. Um, but yeah, it's, let's talk about the Sixers side of things a bit. Ben Simmons, you know, it's crazy. Like, he's basically seven feet running point guard. It's like, what do you even do with Markel Fultz when he's healthy? Like, do you even, is there any point at this point? You trade him maybe? Yeah, I don't know if you'd be able to start Fultz and Simmons next to each other. And that's, I guess, something to, you know, the way that he kind of exposed them is this is a much, very much a rhythm team and you throw them off of their game. The Heat fouled them a lot. Spolster used his timeouts really well and threw them out of their offensive groove and just kind of were very physical with them and didn't really let them settle into the same type of flow that they had in game one. So I feel like it's pretty common of like young teams. And, you know, even if Simmons gets to the rim with such ease and is going to be a transcendent talent for many years to come. I mean, the Sixers team is showing that even if they popped off 15 in a row uh, during the regular season up until the playoffs, like this is, is still they're They're not invincible, I guess. Yeah, I think that's clear because, you know, uh, the first game probably was a little, um, you know, yeah, we got this type approach and looked like they came into the second game a little more cocky um, and Spolstra adjusted and, um, you know, had a phenomenal game plan. I really am curious to see what Kelly Olenek's NBA career would be like if he wasn't playing for Brad Stevens and Eric Spolstra. Um, imagine him with some garbage coach. Do you think he would be as effective? Yeah, man, that'd be weird as hell if he was just in like Sacramento or Orlando or something. Like he'd probably be getting stats, but I don't know if he'd just be like a Frank Kaminsky type. But you know, we see him passes, shoots, you know, puts the ball on the deck. And he always does that like ridiculous fake dribble handoff. that's not supposed to fool anybody, but somehow does every single time. And he gets a wide open dunk out of it. Just like, but, just like Josh Rosen's play action. Yeah, man. Like how do people keep falling for this thing? And, you know, I guess it's also, you know, tying back back into the Wade point that you have these guys who are in like such supreme condition. Like the heat puts such an emphasis on just nutrition and, you know, testing for body fat twice a week. And, you know, you compare it to, you know, even if all in it was very solid in Boston, I feel like he's kind of ascended to another level in limited minutes here in Miami, similar for, for how Wade, you know, so different from the guy that he was in Chicago in or in um, Cleveland rather. And it's, it's amazing to me how like more people haven't picked up on this. Like if your guys are just in better shape than everybody else, then you're going to have a really good chance no matter your talent. Yeah. Unless you're Joel Embiid and uh, you're insane. So do we see him yeah, Do we see him back at all in this series? 
he definitely wants to. Like you saw that Instagram post that he had, right? The uh, yeah. expletive laden. I'm sick and tired of being babied. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be back for game three. And it's interesting to me, like, do the Sixers think that there's kind of like a risk of re-injury, like not necessarily to the same orbital bone, but just him being out of out of shape. And, you know, maybe that will put some undue stress on his joints. And we know his, his history of lower body troubles. So I wonder, like, if they're kind of making it, trying to see if it's worth it to maybe sit him for, for a couple of games here and there, you know, to benefit them in the five year plan. Yeah, I like that analysis for sure. Um, I do think that, you know, if this series gets very hairy, you try to see if that option exists because Embiid makes Whiteside look far worse than Whiteside's already looking, I think, in this matchup. I think so. Like, he's always had a kind of history of sticking it to him. But then again, like, Whiteside needs to be engaged and going up against a dude who he clearly doesn't like in Embiid. I feel like that might honestly, like, reverse psychologize and make him do better. Okay, I I like it. I think that's a a valid uh, theory crafting right there. Definitely definitely only works in sports. Uh, Yes. (laughs) I don't think it works anywhere else in, like, the business world with, like, coworkers or whatever. No, no, no. It's perfect. Uh, I like it. So, I guess. So, heat over it. Heat and five? Are you going that optimistic, or it's, it's still it's still possible? But I don't know. Like even <laughs> as a homer, I'd probably say Heat and six. Like I'm curious, like if Embiid coming back actually might throw like Simmons off of his game a little bit. Like Simmons is best when he's out in the open floor, and you know when he can play up tempo. And you know Embiid has a tendency to you know even if he's effective doing it to kind of you know jab step, hold the ball, and post up, and you know slow down the offense a little bit and dominate more of it than the Sixers would like to see. As you know, we can see their ceiling when Simmons is, is the primary usage rate dude so they're still kind of working out their sort of dynamic but it's very bright in the long term yeah the the process is paying off it's it's crazy who would have thought 50 games man they won 50 games after what like struggling to win like 20 and previously two, <laughs> not two seasons ago oh my god um does hinky need like a freaking um what am i saying Anyway, if, he, if he doesn't at least get like a statue, yeah, like at least like a, exactly. maybe like a jersey retirement, or maybe they'll pop him next to Rocky, or maybe like give him the Liberty Bell or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think if anything, you know, it's it's Hinky's taken uh, shoe dropping to the next level. Uh, clearly, we saw the Eagles uh, take what Chip Kelly laid the foundation for, uh, and by that I mean nothing at all, and win a Super Bowl. <laughs> so maybe the actual process. Um, no telling what will happen to Sam Hinkie's uh, love. So when when will somebody hire him to start doing the process elsewhere since it's proving to actually work? I thought like there were rumors that he would go to the Kings. And I thought that was a perfect situation for him, but you know it's but not going to be at least I mean, for this moment. I guess the NBA's kind of tackled some of the rules uh, in the lottery to prevent processing as much. Um, yeah, they're smoothing out the lottery odds, but you know. Yeah, Hink, it, it just goes to show Hinky was a visionary. They had to change the rules just to make it less easy for him to dominate. Yeah, but you know, you have Hinky the visionary, but then you have guys like Pat Riley, the uh, the legend, uh, still cranking out top notch teams with uh, with Spolstra. So amen to that, dude. Trust the culture. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll jump on your culture bandwagon for for the time being. Thank you, my um, friend. There's a lot of room, obviously. Yeah, especially while the uh, the brow is still on the opposite side of the contention. Um, yeah, man. I don't want I don't want Anthony Davis going to the East anytime soon. Yeah, so I'll be uh, I'll be rooting for the brow and 
whatever Darren tells me to root for in the East. So <laughs> Cheers, man. Anything but LeBron and the Sixers <laughs> and any other team not named the Heat. Yeah, there you go. Sounds sounds like a plan. <laughs> um anyways, it's time to move on to politics. Uh, we've had quite a freaking week. Um, so been a lot of content, man. Been a lot of content. It's been a quite a lot of content. Uh, this podcast is going to be like three hours by the end of it all. Um, but should we start with the uh, the? Let's start with Zuck. Uh, the Zen of Zuck or anti Zen? Yeah, what the robot of Zuckerberg? <laughs> um, first of all, whatever uh, whatever board members voted to allow him to go testify, they're insane. But um. <laughs> It was wonderful to see probably, you know, him, his kind of scummy business practices on display while also making a large contingent of the GOP and subsequently not just them, a lot of other Congress members just look like total idiots regarding what they know about the Internet and how things work. So uh, what, what were your takeaways from that? Yeah, I feel like this wasn't really something that was productive. Like, I feel like if we're going to have a conversation about creating legislation to better protect the privacy of our users and our citizens, you know, whether it be on the internet or otherwise, like it could advance without Zuckerberg kind of imbibing his knowledge on, on these senators. But yeah, it's like he spent what? four hours out of his six, 10, however long he spent there, like trying to explain to them the basics of the internet. I forget if it was like, who was it? Lindsey Graham or, or Orrin Hatch, who was just like, <laughs> so you no, or yeah. Orrin Hatch's was, uh, so how do you, how do you, how does, how do you make a business model work where your users don't pay you for your service? <laughs> right, that's exactly what I was and like. Um, he, have you heard of this wonderful thing called advertisers? And, and then he just says, sir, we sell ads and then does the weird robot smile. And, I got a kick out of that. No, Lindsey Graham was uh, very adamant about asking him who his, uh, who his biggest competitor was. Is Twitter a competitor? Like, and Zuck was like, we, we have a lot of competitors. Like, we don't have a biggest. It was, you know, he's trying so do you to have like, a monopoly. Yeah, he's trying to like monopolize. But it's it's like, yeah, what is a monopoly in the Internet world? It doesn't, you know, Google and Amazon are probably as close to them as possible. But it's not like, you know, people are paying to use social networks. So. That's really not a monopoly, I'd say. Right. And it's interesting to me how he kind of like left the door open as well for the potential for like a paid version of Facebook. Like I like the idea in practice, but at this point I feel like at least for our generation, we feel like it's been taken over by, by the baby boomers. So if we don't go on Facebook anymore now when it's free, we sure as hell aren't going to be paying to use it. But I like at least that model for, you know, other like future offshoots, I guess, of like social networks. Yeah, no one wants to pay for social networks. <laughs> let's let's be real. Like, I like it for them. I don't like it as a user. Yeah, well, it's you know, ads is basically the only way to. Well, it depends on the kind of social network, but I think generally, just things like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, it's you can't do anything like that. Things some of the video driven sites make sense, like Twitch's model, for example the subscription base seems to work very well in balancing not needing ads as much as, um, you know, people actually making money. Um, so maybe that model we could see through social media influencers on other platform type deals, but you know, for your Facebook status update to keep track of your grandma and <laughs> your, uh, cousin that lives in Montana, um, 
you know, that's I feel like that no <laughs> no one's gonna pay for that. Yeah, probably a hard pass on that one, but there's at least like you know, in addition to the Twitch model that you suggest there's apps like I guess like Tinder that offer, you know, I guess like a free interface for users, but also like the premium features as well that you can pay a little bit extra for every <laughs> I mean, month. That, so. that is a that is a dating app, so there is a true. So there's <laughs> maybe we should just, you know, combine uh, Facebook apparent- with the dating world. That that's that's the play here. Apparently, um there's a tender promotion going around that there's like an ad run by Cardi B that the top <laughs> 10 like likes liked like college campuses um, will have Cardi B come play there. And currently the top of the uh, leaderboards is UC San Diego. Yeah, UC. OK, so I wouldn't have expected that. Exactly. I would expect it to be like fifth or sixth in just the UCs alone. Yeah, exactly. But apparently there's a lot of people on there using tender and not having any success so when they see cardi b <laughs> it's now become a whole lobbying effort there apparently damn um, dude when so, the memes become true yeah when the, when the don't let your memes not be dreams um <laughs> so uh, back to zuck i guess <laughs> yeah so back to zuck um you know it, i don't know like i i think i feel like we learned nothing new like he was you know kind of adamant about saying we don't sell your data but we do give your data to people type deal um you know i think that's another thing that people um aren't a hundred percent clear on is yeah facebook themselves aren't selling your data they might be selling ads to your demographic or stuff like that um but these third-party apps that have access to you know some of your friends and that kind of stuff. That's where it gets a little more hairy. And I feel like that wasn't discussed as much as um, it does have an impact on the kind of platform. Yeah. And it's also, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily like, obviously what Facebook did with Cambridge Analytica is very problematic and represents not only like a corrosion of our democracy, but also of our basic privacy as an individual. Like, of course you give away a lot of that when you're on the internet in the first place. (laughs) But at the same time, I don't think it's an inherently Facebook based problem that, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, some of the senators, I think it was Kennedy who was, who was mentioning about, um, you know, the, very bluntly saying that your privacy policy sucks and you know i don't know if that's something that you know the websites will actually be able to address themselves or if it's kind of like the onus is on us as a society to kind of read through it like nobody ever reads through the terms and agreements so you know i I don't know if uh, where the blame lies like facebook shouldn't be out here doing the stuff that they're doing but we as a society should kind of be reading the privacy policies too i feel yeah i think um in some courts not in the u.s but uh overseas there's actually uh some of these end user license agreement deals have been almost considered null and void contracts just because of how long they are and uh the kind of intrusion required to sign up if you read it so some of them have just been ignored by courts so uh i don't think that precedent's been set in the united states yet but um Indeed, there's a lot of problems, not just for Facebook, but I think most user agreements on the internet, period. And no one wants to read a legal contract to go sign up to friend their person or tweet or whatever. Um, And people don't view it as that. So it's, yeah, it's definitely requires a cultural shift there, I think. 
And so at the very least, we can agree that there should at least be like some opt out rather than like Facebook being like, yeah, we may have shared your data with Cambridge Analytica, but, you know, rest assured, you didn't do anything. It was one of your friends that you managed to manage to give the access to your information. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, that's enough about Facebook. I felt like I was in a dream while I was watching that on CNN. Yeah, man, this is like Jesse Eisenberg come to life, dude. Yeah, it was weird. Um, didn't look real. But um, man, we have a lot to talk about <laughs> this. Um, so we we talked, I believe, last time about the whole Stormy Daniels um, stuff. Well, the developments that uh, adult film actress is going to take down her president uh, looks to be <laughs> full steam ahead on that train, I believe. It's the most 2018 and the most Donald Trump thing ever. Yeah, so Cohen has been raided. Um, the FBI uh, and a New York prosecutor issued subpoenas to essentially raid his office and his home, which turned out to just be a hotel he's been living in for a while, which is kind of funny. Um, and seems like they got their hands on quite a lot of information. And the prevalent rumors is that there's a lot of recordings of things and it's a matter of determining if things are privileged or not at a certain point. And just to clarify, conspiracy to commit a crime with your lawyer doesn't make it privileged information. That just makes it a crime. And honestly, like I think the whole defense that Trump has been clinging to is that this was a payment supposedly made to Stormy Daniels, like exclusively by Cohen without his knowledge. So if that's the case, like presumably wouldn't be covered by attorney-client privilege, right? So, you know, something's got to get there one way or the other. And just kind of, it's also kind of, you know, a window into the way that law enforcement sometimes works in that this is something that's, you know, technically separate from the Mueller investigation, but it was referred to by Mueller. Like, he's like, all right, I don't necessarily have, like, the jurisdiction to go into this stuff, but he passes it off to, what, like, the New York State FBI or whatever, and is like, you know, you guys might find this interesting. So based on what they find through their search warrant, like, maybe they'll then be able to provide info back to Mueller in terms of his investigation. So, you know, we can kind of debate the the, the greater implications of that, but I guess that's kind of uh, one of the big takeaways of what's going on here. Yeah, and, um, you know, the, the secondary takeaway is, so basically the backstory behind Cohen is, He's had three clients. Um, one was, I forget the other guy's name, but uh, basically he paid off uh, some woman that was having an affair. Uh, Trump, he paid off Stormy Daniels having an affair. The third client was revealed to be none other than uh, Sean Hannity. So what are the odds that um, Cohen's exp- expressing or, uh, using his normal services to help Hannity cover up something? Too good to be true, man. Like, I saw that tweet, and I thought, like, it was a joke. But then the person who tweeted is like, this is per his lawyer, who actually, like, revealed this to the court this morning. I was like, damn, like, 2018 is a ridiculous script. Like, throw this entire movie in the trash. It's too unrealistic. So, yeah. So now you get in this world where Hannity is basically claiming that Cohen wasn't his lawyer. He just had some discussions there. Um, You know, there's a lot of... um, discussion on okay has uh hannity got some sort of privilege information whatever but regardless a federal judge was told that hannity was cohen's client so either hannity's cohen's client or somebody's lying um which you know turns into perjury (laughs) which turns into a whole lot of other stuff so until somebody like gets the facts straight this is this is turning out to be a lot more interesting than 
a simple affair with an adult film actress could be. Yeah, man, it was also interesting that the supposed revelation that the local FBI was looking for documents concerning the Access Hollywood tapes. And so we're kind of like, okay, like what's kind of like the mm, basis of this? Like it's something that, you know, obviously happened a long time ago and, you know, ran its course through the, the election cycle, uh, you know, prior to 2016 going to the ballots. And it's, I guess, you know, opens up a box of did Trump make some illicit payments to potentially like keep this stuff stifled? And, you know, that kind of runs afoul of like campaign finance laws and you know, all different sorts of ethics uh, ordinances. And so you know, this, you know, it's really not something that's just based on the action itself. It's the greater kind of implication of what's going on there. Yeah. And on the Hannity side as well, like assuming Hannity is his client, Hannity has been spend- spending, you know, stories about uh, Cohen and kind of trying to divert attention and stuff all without disclosing this information. So, you know, he's misleading the public by a lot of means and is definitely in the unethical category of <laughs> reporting. Uh, I don't even know what Hannity is. I don't know if you can call him a reporter. Or, I know you can't really call him a journalist by any means. Yeah, man, uh, I, think, I feel like he's a lot closer to Alex Jones than, than he is to, to Walter Cronkite. Um, exactly. And I think... Uh, I think Alex Jones is the ding, ding, ding keyword for the transition. Um, <laughs> you Syria, said the magic word. You said the magic word. And we're going to talk about Syria, which actually apparently made Alex Jones cry. Um, Does he actually like cry real tears or is this just like some sort of like almond milk? No, but like, uh, well, they were probably chemtrail tear type deals. But, <laughs> but um, no, Alex Jones is like feels betrayed by Donald for attacking Syria. And this was something that. You know, the the whole the, the you, if you haven't been to the Trump criticizes subreddit, it's uh it's worth a read because the the whole point is essentially people post uh, tweets from the Donald that directly contradict his actions today. Um, so, you know, this this week in Trump criticizes is bringing up all of uh, Trump's tweets about drone striking Syria being terrible and Obama being you know, awful for doing this. And now Trump goes and does it himself. And this was something that Alex Jones agreed with on him on. And he actually somehow pissed off Alex Jones, which is kind of crazy. Oh man. And you know, as, as much as the, the right still continues to, to talk about Hillary, I mean, this is basically their biggest argument against her, I guess, is that, you know, she was obviously pro military action for Syria, supposedly. And, you know, everyone's all world war three here and there, you know, criticizing Obama for doing the same thing as you hinted at. And so what was kind of noteworthy as well to me is that this was a coordinated strike, like a joint effort by France and England as well as us, which I wasn't really expecting just based on how badly Trump's been skewering our relations with our classic European allies. But that kind of adds a dimension into it that I thought was was, was rather interesting as well. And you know, now there's all the, the clamoring about like, you know, unilateral action without a congressional approval. But, you know, in truth, that's been happening for administrations on decades, on centuries almost. Uh, so, apparently, um, though, that Mattis wanted congressional approval first, though. Oh, okay. And I Trump went over his head. Uh, this broke a couple hours ago, so okay. whether that's a fresh development. This on, is on a front? fresh development. So whether this you know report's one hundred percent accurate right now, I didn't get enough time to fact check it. Uh, check my check my sources in the DoD Snopes.com. to <laughs> it's to, to confirm the truth of this. But if that is that if that is the case, like 
you know, the only freaking sane person in the administration, it seems, is against it. Probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, Especially the warmongering person that ever, that's, that, he's too much of a warmonger, doesn't want to drone strike Syria. You know, it's bad. Um, yeah, but, so are, are we subtweeting John Bolton here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, this, this, it's kind of interesting though, because a lot of, I think, Trump's criticism of not going into Syria just was him parroting Putin uh, wanting control of Syria, basically. But now, you know, you think he pissed off Putin here? In a sense, but I feel like and this is kind of like a very common take that Syria is not really the hill that Putin wants to die on, like figuratively, I guess, speaking. And it makes sense. And it's just like a matter of like political posturing. But at the same time, like, Putin's whole thing is like giving off the impression of strength and power. And so whether or not he feels that this erodes this, I mean, yeah, that could very well, I guess, uh, damage his, his supposed relationship with with Trump and between the Kremlin and Washington. So it's, uh, you know, we, we saw, I guess, the condemnation, I guess, as well from Iran, which which was to be expected. But I don't know. We're getting into kind of some greater, greater stuff here. But it's like I, I don't really agree with any more the, the idea of like the United States being like a police power. Like you know, we can all like kind of condemn it, but military action, uh, I feel like it, it is a little bit dicey. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, it's a tough one because we don't really have the dif- diplomatic efforts working. So you know, yeah. if the carrot doesn't work, least, you got to like, use the stick. <laughs> Right. And at the very least, like if you're going to strike the country, at least open your borders to the refugees. And this is something that Britain and France have been doing. And, you know, with the other the other European allies. Uh, but, you know, with, with is Syria included on the travel ban list? I feel like they are. Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. And so, you know, you're kind of getting the worst of both worlds here in that you're pursuing military action against them. Granted, it wasn't against civilians. It was more like targeted strikes on the compounds where they're housing the chemical weapons. But at the same time, like, you're not opening your borders to the refugees. So it's just like a lose-lose, I feel, in, in some respects. Yeah, I think I think that's very... That makes sense. And um, It is interesting, though, and the whole my comment about Pooty. Um, he's not Putin anymore. He's, he's a little he's a little Pooty. <laughs> um, spelled like Pouty, but with, <laughs> yeah, without the O. Or, or spelled like Poo, like P-O-O-T. Um, but anyways, uh, apparently Trump is not enforcing uh sanctions on russia that his administration and the gop agreed to enforce so that could be part of the uh you can attack syria if you don't enforce these sanctions so the art of the deal baby the art of the deal i bestseller amazon's bestseller 2004 um no but we'll end we'll end on the lighter note of the trump world and his latest uh twitter feud with uh Cohen or Cohen, James Comey, but more generally, Comey's wrote a book, uh, done the done the rounds uh, on the talk shows and whatnot, and he really he's made himself look a lot better just since his firing than I think a lot of us were feeling about James Comey right before the election, so to say. I think so. He's improved his image, but at the same time, like he's largely going to be viewed the same by both, you know, Democrats and Republicans as they were like prior to this. But at least you know, you're spilling some tea out here, man. Like you know, it's very no holds barred, and you can debate whether or not that's just a part of like promoting his book. But you know, he really did not hold back on Trump. 
And you know, I think it's interesting. I also agree that he's not necessarily like mentally unfit to be president, but uh, when, we, when it comes to morals, that's where you have grounds for like a legitimate argument. Yeah, he's morally unfit. I mean, you know, if the whole if whole if the whole dementia, uh, the 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 armchair doctors uh, looking at pictures on the internet to diagnose Hillary and Donald, um, if they're right, then maybe his. But uh, you know, I'll wait till we hear that from an actual doctor. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to see a little bit more proof. Yes, that's, that's very convincing, but not quite enough. Yeah, sadly, uh, it's probably the, the doctor that wrote his uh, bone spurs diagnosis is probably still around. So, seriously, what did you think of uh, Comey saying that uh, Trump has those uh, white circles under his eyes that are probably from tanning glasses? Um, you just gotta throw petty shade at Trump, though. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> this is like the mindless entertainment portion of our program. Yeah, at a certain point, Comey's like he's just gotta he's just gotta stick it to him, and you know you can't like. Trump has no concern about his professional career, so you have to stick it to his image. And if you tell him that he's using a tanning bed and he's not doing it right, that's 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 top notch banter. And uh, you know, striking Comey, him right where it hurts. Comey delivering it's kind of funny, um, but you know, it's it's beautifully uh, crafted banter. Yeah, man, um, he knows what buttons to push too. You see, you know, we obviously know that Comey's like what six seven, six eight, and he's saying, yeah, Trump actually does have like fairly small hands, at least compared to me. Yeah, like, you know, we could have seen Comey being in the NBA or something, but instead he's a he's a uh, FBI agent for or FBI head for three different presidents. Yeah, man, it could um, have been small forward for the Memphis Grizzlies or something. Uh, that would have been it was probably been the Vancouver Grizzlies back oh, back at that right. point. Back back when Comey was still in his prime. Yeah, back when Comey's prime. Um but yeah, so are you going to buy uh James Comey, Art of the Deal, or whatever his book is titled. I think it's like a higher loyalty, which is, you know, I said on Twitter is basically like a Steve Winwood song. But yeah. you know, I think that I might actually like take a read, just as I did with like Fire and Fury. I might take a read at a local Barnes & Noble. I don't think I'm going to spend much coin on it, but it's at least going to be something that's interesting. That and What Happened by Hillary Clinton are, are among my favorite ones to, to browse casually at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> yeah, What Happened, um, you know, the I, I have read a lot of excerpts of What Happened, and you know, Comey does feature some, prominently there as well. Yeah, there's some legitimate uh, analysis there. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if Comey's book is similar. But um, while we're rambling, we might as well move on to the segment of the podcast we haven't really had in a while. But um, we really need one. And that is the Donald Glover portion of the Straight Out Hitch podcast. Yes, um, Lord. The Don Glover, the Childish Gambino, whatever you want to call it. And it looks like SNL's jumping on our bandwagon here as well. Um, he's not only going to be the host, but he will be the musical guest. And it's going to be awesome. May 5th, I believe, um, is the set date for that. So set your DVRs. Uh, I was looking through the list of prior uh, musical guests-like uh, host combos. And most recently, it just seems to be Justin Timberlake a bunch. So, um, Childish is definitely a good mix-up of that. Was Britney Spears on that list, too? Yeah, she was on that list. Taylor Swift has been on this that list. Um, there was guys like Paul Simon on the list. Damn. Um, I wouldn't have expected that. There was nobody in the 80s, though, that was on the list. So, uh, Laura Michaels took a break, I guess. From <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. So um, He's the perfect guy to do it, though, right? Yeah, so, I mean, you know... Childish Gambino tours happening. 
um, Atlanta in its second season. Uh, I got a lot of that to catch up on. I'm three or four episodes in. Uh, for sure, and, for sure. And it's I'm enjoying, Robin season. Yeah, and I'm enjoying every moment of it so far. Well, what uh, was the last episode that you saw? Uh, I believe... Um, what am I? The the uh basically where they he gets paid, um then you know tries to spend his hundo, hundo uh and people start being really racist to him so they just go to strip club. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, so that's how far behind I am. Um, <laughs> this this hundred dollar bill ain't even real. Yeah, tell because it has a mark on it. Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man, but, that's... but yeah, it's that that show though. Yeah, I mean, we can you know, there, I don't know how much more we can speculate about SNL. Like, let's just talk about Donald <laughs> generally. But seriously, man. But like, I watch Atlanta, and some of this stuff literally like it makes me cringe in a way that I know this happens. Like, I I know people that do this like to some degree, and it just sucks that society actually treats people like this sometimes, and. That's the way it is. And Donald like helps portray this in such a crudely real but comical way that makes you almost question why the hell you're laughing at this. But, you know, I think it's it's really a masterpiece of a show, really. And I'm not just fanboying over Donald. I legitimately think it's probably one of the best written uh, and directed television shows I've seen in a really long time. Yeah, man, I love that take for sure, because, yeah, it seems like, you know, you are able to make it relatable to the majority of the population by making them laugh at the seeming absurdity of the situation. The fact of the matter is, this is the reality for a lot of the people that, you know, you're of the African-American community or, you know, do live in Atlanta or certain portions of the South. And I really like how in season two, whereas like, you know, season one, they are very much like establishing themselves you know floating out there what works and trying to really like come into you know get their creative juices flow season two they're really starting to like develop the characters we see you know you know one obviously you can have like a an urn episode but also like we're getting like exclusively paperboy episodes exclusively darius episodes and exclusively van episodes so this is really just a show that defies i guess like traditional explanation like it has you know drama comedy social commentary, you know, surrealism. It's just pretty much everything all in one episode. And, you know, you wouldn't even really think that all these episodes are interconnected, but they all somehow, you know, manage to still advance the plot while being witty about it. And, you know, I definitely recommend uh, getting caught up. I mean, the Teddy Perkins episode, which yeah, I don't know if you've heard about it all, yeah, but that I, was one of the most harrowing 45 minutes so far of television. Just so well done. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, that's, that's my week right now. Um, that's, that's on my list. My, uh, you know, my crazy work uh, country commitments have uh, slowed down somewhat. For so, sure. But, you know, so it, it's there for you. Atlanta's now my commitment. Mm -hmm. um, and also, while we're on the Donald point, uh, the one true Donald, of course, uh, I just wanted to kind of uh, take a few seconds here to rant at Denny's, who they have a promotion now for, I guess they have like some sort of partnership with like a, a solo story, the new Star Wars film that also features Donald as young Lando. Yes. And, you know, they have some... Uh, Star Wars and Solo themed dishes and collector's cups. So I pop in there, I see this and it's four character cups and, you know, the, you know, Han himself, the new female lead, uh, Chewie, and of course, Donald Lando and, uh, wanted to get one of them. They only had the Han, the Han one and the Amelia Clark one. And I was very sad. I was ready to spend $3 on that to get that memento of Donald as, uh, as Lando. And I was robbed by 
Denny's Robin season. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think you got to go to the Westwood Denny's, you know, they got to have them in store. I'm sure they um, have it. Yeah. I remember I did win a SpongeBob at that, uh, vending machine. Oh, in there. I do recall that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was, you know, that Denny's is magical. Um, yeah, man. It's a gift that keeps on giving, dude. Yeah. So I bet they have Lando there. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. This is the one that you live right next door to, right? Yeah, this was the one. This was, yeah, this is the post-hitch uh, when you need some fattening food. Go to Denny's. Oh, um, man. When Two, fat four, cells, six, eight value menu, dude. Perfect yeah, for the... When, when, <laughs> fat cells, when fat cells and Tommy Taco is too much after a night of balling. Yeah. <laughs> or too far of a walk and you're lazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I don't know. Are you... I guess... I, I mean, I'll, I'll watch this SNL. Um yeah, it man. Seems, I mean, it seems to have kind of, you know, the initial post-election boom was great, and then it kind of seemed to taper back off to, you know, boring SNL. Like, yeah, they've had like some good celebrity hosts, like Sir Ronan, uh, Sterling K. Brown, and uh, Chadwick Boseman were all like really classic episodes. But I haven't really been excited and looking forward to one ever since, you know, the one that you hinted at the uh, the Dave Chappelle Tribe Called Quest one after. The November presidential election in 2016. Yeah, so this is this will uh, make SNL great again uh, using using the real Donald. But let's move on. Um, the other side of the rap game, uh, Kendrick Lamar. You know, on top of a lot of charts. But um, more interestingly, his album "Damn" actually won a Pulitzer Prize, which um, you know that's not something you hear often in the music world, but. Um, really phenomenal kind of accolade for him. Yeah, man. And I guess uh, you already know how much I love this album, but I gotta say like, what is he the first non jazz or classical musician to ever win this? And it just goes to show how hip hop is the most important, um, you know, genre and the most important movement, arguably, um, in the culture right now. And this is where I guess the commentary is at. And this is where I guess the, the relevant messages that are resonating with people these days are at. And I'm kind of interested. Like, I, I feel like if he was to win the Pulitzer, like if you had told me that it would be for damn, I would have been surprised that it wasn't, you know, for it's pimple butterfly, because I feel like that was kind of like the more poetic and uh, I guess dense project of his, but Tam was a little bit more accessible to everybody and, you know, maybe a little bit more relevant to uh, when it was released in 2017. So, you know, in terms of the lyrics, in terms of all of the different sorts of messages and, uh, you know, uh, recording techniques that are all very innovative, I can easily see why they chose it. Yeah. Uh, Bruno Mars's album doesn't have a Pulitzer Prize this year. Just like to throw that out. Uh, yeah, twenty-four K Magic. Hashtag salty about the Grammys. Uh, yeah. Bruno Mars like won over a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah, Macklemore like, won over a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah, I mean, it, it did win five Grammys. Damn. So you know, it, it did okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and it's got all that stuff as well a, as a Rihanna a Pulitzer, feature and a Pulitzer Prize and a Pulitzer. Yeah. Does Rihanna have a Pulitzer Prize? I don't know. How does that work? Does by do, proxy maybe? So does you yeah, do, have a Pulitzer now? Do, as well? do the full? Do the features get uh you know credited for a prize? I don't there? know. Honestly, I feel like it'd just be Kendrick. Is it just, the Kendrick and the producer maybe? Yeah. Kendrick won for Dan, not Dan won for Kendrick. I guess it's I it's sad that the only um the only producer that I know in the rap world is Ludwig, just because Childish shouts him out all the time. So uh, <laughs> can somebody start shouting out other producers? Uh, yeah, like uh, Suge Knight's still a producer, right? <laughs> uh, he's a producer of a lot of things. 
Uh, trouble probably being one of yeah, them. That's a big his, his primary export. Yeah, he exports in trouble, guns, and uh, chaos. <laughs> yeah, man. So you know, I don't even know any of the other producers that are out here right now, other than the ones who have crossover. Like Kanye is technically a producer. I guess Frank Ocean is technically a producer yeah, too. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of the straight up work with a rapper, grind out producer. Yeah, the specialist. Lu- Ludwig's the only one I know of. Yeah. <laughs> um, Scooter Braun's just a manager, right? He's not really a producer. Scooter Braun is is a meme. He's um, a meme. <laughs> he's a meme, dude. And a future mayor, politician, based on where we're going in 2018, the is, year of our he's Lord. Still ru- is he still running for mayor of LA? Probably, LA, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, God. And Eric Garcetti's going to be our next president. I, I'm down, though. I'm down yeah. for Garcetti. Garcetti 2020. Like He has my vote over Oprah. Don't add me, dude. Dude, Garcetti's a boss. Like, I don't care who. He's done well in LA. This is his second term. And um, to bring it full circle, he shouted out Kendrick on his official Instagram page, LA's very own. Yeah, so exactly. There <laughs> so there we go. Um, so speaking of LA, we'll go slightly out of the outskirts of LA and the uh, Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival, uh, also known as Coachella. Um, <laughs> For sure. when do you think the last person's called it that that wasn't like an old person <laughs> it's probably been a hot minute dude like cardi b probably wasn't even born yet so um you know i'm not i'm not big on the cardi b bandwagon um i don't i think per- she's fun but i don't particularly get it and i per- don't particularly get her music but i will give her credit she's made beyonce's coachella last year look like a joke saying cardi b's up there seven months pregnant performing <laughs> um, so yeah, what what is your take? I don't know. What if I've watched a few acts on YouTube? What are, what are your initial kind of thoughts of where everything's at with that? Well, you know, at least on the Cardi front, like I feel like her music is good if you just want to like turn off your mind and have like a good time. Like she plays her role really well. She's just very like enthusiastic, and I'm start I'm starting to warm up to her a little bit. Like I can understand it now. You know, now that I, I know what lens to kind of analyze her through, but. On the Beyonce front, that was pretty killer. Did you watch the live stream at all? Or I did not. I really couldn't care less about Beyonce, sadly. <laughs> at, don't at me, Bayhive. Come on. Honestly, like we've talked a lot in this podcast about how we don't necessarily get like the extent of the idol worship of the Bayhive, and that's still very true. Like for things like a pregnancy shoot, like it's it's a little bit uh, excessive, <laughs> just a tad. That's, that's still just it. Just seems like something out of a Sears catalog or Sears yeah, or JC Penney <laughs> that you would do in the middle of Tennessee. Like, Straight up, dude. But as a performer, that was pretty impressive. And you know, what the first woman of color to headline Coachella, I believe. And for two hours, she had like a full on like hundred piece marching band, and you know, hundred backup dancers who none of whom missed a step missed a single beat for the entire set and you know just the flexes of like the disney's child reunion bringing out jay-z just for one song and you know solange coming out there too and it was just a really cool i guess testament to the african-american experience and you know she really kind of increased awareness about that and the shout out to like black colleges and talking about malcolm x and it was just like she puts on a really good production and I have a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people, there was this debate uh, on The Breakfast Club, on the, the Power 106, uh, you know, after, the, just, just to start this week, you know, is she the greatest performer of all time now? And you know, they're debating Beyonce or Michael Jackson. Uh, I feel like that's a little premature, but I can see where they're coming from it in terms of her, you know, the way that she puts on, you know, how 
or um, late her, her, her productions gonna, are. You know, she she didn't perform Coachella pregnant, so obviously Cardi B is a better performer <laughs> than her. Like one to know. zero, Cardi's up on the scoreboard. One, scoreboard, yeah, baby. That's the, that's the only scoreboard that matters. Like, you know how how many months pregnant were you when you performed at Coachella? Um, oh. I'm going to cancel my Coachella trip because I'm <laughs> pregnant. Like, come on, Beyonce, like Kobe you know. gift soft. Yeah. Soft. Do, you, do you think Kobe, like if Kobe were pregnant, he wouldn't go up there and perform? No, Kobe <laughs> would put up like 80 points while pregnant. Like <laughs> hashtag dominate pregnancy, hashtag dominate pregnancy, <laughs> the Kobe Bryant experience, Emmy, Emmy or Grammy award winner, Kobe Bryant. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Sorry. Oscar award winner, Kobe Bryant probably has an Emmy somewhere in there. Yeah probably um for his daytime television performance on all that back in the day classic it's like Shaq's <laughs> got his oscars for uh the the various things Shaq's have been Shaq has been at Shaq's there's multiple Shaq <laughs> kazam um did you did you happen to catch the 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 jimmy fallon mean tweets with eminem at coachella Oh, I missed this, dude. What happened? Yeah, so they basically on the screen had like the the Jimmy Fallon mean tweets um uh you know type skit with Eminem in front of everybody at Coachella. So Eminem up there <laughs> reading mean tweets about him like, you know. And just the, the I, total slim shady deadpan. Yeah, like, you know, that's I think yeah, Eminem's one of the funniest dudes ever like in terms of deadpan. Like if he didn't do rap, he could have been a comedian and been like well off in that world. Yeah, man. Like Eight Mile was actually like pretty unintentionally funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Is it still on Netflix at this point? I, know I don't it was know. A couple I did watch ago. it there, but I feel like they probably took it off recently. But yeah. yeah, what did you think of his? Like, I didn't really hear a lot about. You know, I feel like he was largely overshadowed. It was pretty much like Beyonce, Cardi, as well as like The Weeknd, who's got his new project uh, yeah. out. Oh, The Weeknd. Yeah, this this Coachella lineup was like a nightmare for me um, in terms of the. Um, the people that are insanely popular that I don't understand. I'll um, say that it was very top heavy. Yeah. Once it got to like the second or third line, I was like, eh. I, know, I, I, I was digging the second or third line. I was not digging. <laughs> I wasn't digging the top line. I guess I'm on the other end. Of that's things, because like, I only listen to like indie rock. That's always uh, on the second that. or third line. Yeah. Like I'm more hip hop oriented. So yeah, that's it's, probably it's a, where the discrepancy I think lies. that's, that was, I think that's what was, weird almost is how the festival scene has changed Mm -hmm. uh to be so hip-hop oriented um because really five years ago your headliners weren't you know rap artists or i was uh, like kings of leon right (laughs) you know it was in like indie alt rock or kind of edm for a bit of it or even um, like the old classic rock crew like the guns and roses reunions or whatever exactly but like you don't you don't you don't really see the the indie rock at the top of the festival game as much anymore, which is, you know, I, I guess everything goes in waves. Um, you know, it's it's just kind of it's a weird one to think that the festival scene is is almost seems independent of the like overall arching popular music scene. But I think if anything, this year's lineup has going to show not at all. It's deadpan right in the center of what is popular today yeah man i guess uh, i guess it's uh, the, the lasting power of hip-hop at least for for the time being and you see what happened with vince staples uh no i missed that what so he performed and he also did an interview uh you know at coachella where he talked <laughs> a lot about r kelly i don't know how it came up 
He was essentially, <laughs> you know, they're saying the interview was saying, yeah, we actually don't really talk a lot about R. Kelly. It's kind of like a an implicit hush hush that you know we don't really talk about his his discretions. But uh, you know, Vince Staples just went completely scorched earth. He's like, yeah, this dude pees on kids and uh, you know prostitutes and you know all, all different sorts of like ridiculous sex crimes. Just went like completely off. And he tweets out, uh, I think it was just yesterday. I've just been informed that R. Kelly. His people are actually like after me now, so I'm probably gonna hire some security. And it's crazy how the world works. It's just all these dudes that hit high notes who are the no, ones who. I, I get like I like how it's they're after me, not they're trying to sue me. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> that's what it's done it, the hood, man. I guess maybe, maybe it's or maybe there's just straight up truth to it all. Yeah, um, man. It's not libel or slander when it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, man, he he's got the receipts, dude. He he didn't forget about that stuff. He didn't forget about the P tape. He's got the receipts. Oh, oh my god! All right, but uh, straight up, I guess closing up this thing. Blasphemy to suggest that Beyonce is a better performer than Michael Jackson, or not? I think it's a hundred percent blasphemy. Um, I'll say, I will say this: I can respect Beyonce, but when she has an iconic move like the moonwalk or like the smooth criminal anti gravity lean, then she can come back and talk to me. See, I I think I think yeah, Michael Jackson changed the game. Like he was a game changer in what he did. And I don't think Beyonce has done that really. Like, yeah, she puts a ton of work into dancers in these like massive productions, but you could say the same thing about Katy Perry's concerts. And, um, you know, everybody will disagree with me on that statement, but, um, it's, it's, it's like, we've, we've reached the point where it's a lot easier to do this. And, uh, kind of go there with the whole marching band, but Michael Jackson on his own uh, essentially transcended a lot of this, and he was doing it with a lot, lo- a lot less of the technology we have today too. So that's a great um, point. And, you know, it ties into sports too. How it's so difficult to combine across eras because you know you have the modern technological medical advances sometimes. And so yeah, if you just put Michael Jackson and Beyonce, whoever other performer that you want with just a stage and a spotlight. I feel like Michael Jackson will wipe the floor with anybody that you put out there every single time. I, yeah, I even, I feel like Beyonce would lack under that, you know, category generally. Cause I think a lot of what works really well with Beyonce is that she has these very, very talented backup dancers that she can, you know, work with. Um, and it becomes this whole, like almost core, like, ballet kind of experience rather than a you know just beyonce doing stuff you know is is that kind of makes sense where i'm coming from there yeah i feel that for sure but i guess at the end of the day like it's hard to argue that beyonce is not like the biggest figure in the culture right now or at least in music like when we look back on what 2000s and the 2010s and we remember like the one artist who mattered we're pretty sure it's going to be beyonce because i think we will be uh yeah, Beyonce and then Kim Kardashian's home videos. Um, <laughs> Straight up, dude, with Ray J's uh, short-lived <laughs> rap career. Dude, Ray J got the real short end of the stick. <laughs> and all of this. Can we have like a justice for Ray J or something? Yeah, man, they got to pay him like some sort of like reverse child support or something. Yeah, this is this is why we need uh this is why we need to move this podcast to Twitch just for the set that we could uh get Twitch chat to uh shout out justice for Ray J. Uh, get some <laughs> we'll, get li- that, we'll get that trending. Get the live interactive like uh, satisfaction of that. Um, anyways, this podcast is an hour and a half. Apologies if you've made it this far. 
Um, but it's good to be back. It's good to be back. I know I've been AWOL and Same, we've dude. all been AWOL, but you know, we got things are brewing. We got life happening. Life happens. I'm sure everybody uh, can resonate with that, sir. But yeah, so we'll, we'll finish up the, um, the beef of the week tournament next week. Uh, when we have a lot less, uh, pressing topics to talk about. Yeah. This is a great week for content, man. Yeah. We, we got a content fill week, but, um, yeah, uh, me hinting at the Twitch thing. I think we might move uh, the platform to potentially start there and then upload the uh, recorded VODs to SoundCloud as usual. So if that's your preferred method. But some live interaction with some people could be great. It's so, a good time, man. We just passed episode 60. So as we enter from our uh, Kobe phase into our retirement phase, not really. Yes. But <laughs> so, so yeah, we're, we're, now ret- we're now retiring. We're moving to Twitch. Uh, so this we'll is like, our Oscar Oscar we'll, phase right here, Dear we'll Basketball. Like, we'll, we'll have like 20 more episodes and then like straight ahead we'll be done with. And, <laughs> you know, Darren will be a lawyer. And um, yeah, so all of this is privileged, by the way. Darren's my lawyer. Uh, it's all protected. Just FYI. Yeah, it's all protected. So um, And this is pro bono work. We're just talking about real estate here. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking about real estate. Anyways, on that note, it's been Alec. I'll let Darren uh, give his last little dope outro. All right. It's been a lot of fun, guys. Always a pleasure. 60 episodes now in the books, 20 for SZN2. And we look forward to continuing to turn out quality content for you, whether it be on SoundCloud, whether it be on Twitch, whether it be elsewhere. We will always be there for you. Thank you, everybody. And it has been real. Peace.